Turns to Romans chapter 14. We'll be reading from verses 13 to the end of the chapter, 13 to 23. This is the word of the Lord. Why don't you stand for the reading, uh, for those of you that are, are comfortable standing. Uh, If not, uh, you don't need to, but it's an expression of our reverence. Starting in verse 13, the word of the Lord. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat, or to drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what He approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Amen. Be seated, please. Pray with me. Oh Lord, we remind we are uh, blessed to know, Lord, that all wisdom is found uh, in you, and you have uh, communicated uh, wisdom to us in this word of yours. Um, we thank you that we can go to this word and know that we are uh, hearing the mind of Christ in it. And we do pray that we might, by your grace, understand uh, further this passage, uh, a frequently misunderstood passage, 
We ask that you would guide us, that you would uh, give us insight, Lord, new insight, and that we might better serve you as a result. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, a uh, question for you, Bebo and uh, Tegan, if she's probably not able to get this. Okay. Well, anyway, Bebo, <laughs> have you ever done something when nobody else was around? Mom and dad were not there, maybe not even little sister. And you did something that you knew was wrong, and you did it anyway. And if you did something like that, and and if, and if for some reason you haven't done something like that, imagine that you've done something like that. But perhaps you have. Most of us have. Anyway, you did something and you knew it was wrong. And why did you know it was wrong? Well, sometimes you know it was wrong because you'd been told that it's wrong previously by your mom or dad or your pastor or a friend or whatever. But sometimes we just know that something is wrong and it's not because somebody has told us, not a human being anyway, but it's because of this thing we call our conscience. It's something inside of our our spirit that tells us when we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. And it's very, very important that we as Christians listen to our conscience. And if we realize, I'm about to do something I shouldn't do, and even if you know nobody's going to see you, you're not going to get caught, maybe. You want to do it, but you need to listen to your conscience and go, that's not the way God would have me act. God wants me to listen to my conscience. And that's part of what this text is telling us today. The importance of doing whatever we're doing with, uh, the Bible calls it, uh, a clear conscience or a good conscience. And indeed, that is uh, the first of two points that I want to make from this passage in our time remaining. The first, again, uh, stated a little differently. Whatever you do, uh, this passage teaches us, you must do it with a clear conscience. Whatever it is, you must do it with a clear conscience. Christians especially are supposed to do this, but of course non-Christians should too. They just won't because they're non-Christians. But we are commanded to do whatever we do with a clear conscience. And this passage also teaches us uh, that whatever you do, you must not cause your Christian brother to stumble spiritually. You must not cause your Christian brother to stumble spiritually. So first, whatever you do, you must do it with a clear conscience. I didn't read the first part of the uh, chapter, just for the sake of time, but uh, many of you uh, heard uh, my preach on that the last time we were together in Romans. Uh, the situation that Paul is addressing here in this chapter is as follows. He's addressing, addressing Christians who are engaging in certain kinds of behavior that other Christians either question the propriety of or are out and out, out and out disapprove of. So either they question whether or not it's right or they, uh, another Christian out and out says, that's absolutely wrong. You should not be doing that. 
Uh, and so we have examples in this chapter that are given. There are three examples given of behavior like this uh, over which Christians disagree about the rightness of. In verse 21, we read of eating meat. Uh, this is perhaps uh, the case of meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, that had been sacrificed uh, else or earlier on, and then and then once the animal was uh, killed and slaughtered and offered up, parts of it was brought to the marketplace. That's probably what is uh, in view here. So eating something that somebody else might think is inappropriate, also drinking wine. Uh, we see that also in verse uh, 21. Uh, drinking is probably a reference there to well, it actually says drinking wine. Uh, that some thought that was wrong, others didn't. And then the final area uh, of uh, debate that is brought up uh, in this chapter, in verse 5, is refusing to observe certain days of the year that some thought were religiously significant and others did not. And there was, in fact, and there is, in fact, um, just as there was back then, nothing at all improper or sinful about these three activities in the eyes of God. It was perfectly acceptable uh, to either uh, to, to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, as long as you didn't participate in the sacrifice of it, uh, to drink wine, uh, and it was alcoholic wine, uh, not grape juice, that was in view there. And that's probably why some didn't uh, feel comfortable doing it. Or refusing to observe certain days, which were probably the Jewish festival days, that uh, Jewish Christians, some felt the need to continue to observe, even as, even though they were Christians. Uh, and others, um, and the Gentiles in particular, felt no need to observe the Passover or Feast of Tabernacles or whatever, uh, though Jews, uh, Jewish Christians felt the need to do so and perhaps wanted to compel others to do so as well. These behaviors were perfectly good and, uh, and legitimate activities for a Christian to engage in. Paul says as much in verse 16, Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing. He's talking here to the folks who could engage in those behaviors uh, with, with a clear conscience. And it was a good thing for them. Uh, and therefore, it was a legitimate behavior for a Christian. Otherwise, Paul would not have made such, such a statement. And so there's nothing inherently evil about eating certain types of food uh, or drinking uh, certain kinds of beverages. Uh, the fact that this is the case is evident in verse 14 and then 20, and then in a couple other passages that I we'll want to briefly look at. So in verse 14 we read, And I know and am convinced in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. Absolutely nothing is unclean in itself. Then over in verse 20, the second part of the verse, All things indeed are clean. All things are clean. Also, over in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 7, verse 15, we read the following. There is nothing outside the man which going into him can defile him. Nothing that you can ingest or drink. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. And then finally, over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, for everything created by God, let me back up to verse 3. He was giving a list of things that would, uh, would, uh, uh, that would characterize the, the last days. And he says, 
He speaks of men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Believers. And then he says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. So you see the clear teaching here of uh, Scripture, at least with respect to food and drink. Um, and by implication, it also applies to uh, observance of feast days, too. But not every member of the church in Rome was at a point spiritually, in terms of spiritual maturity, where they were able to accept uh, this truth, that all things are clean and acceptable and um, and to be to be enjoyed, as it were. Uh, and those folks who didn't understand that everything created by God is good and that nothing is to be rejected, they were regarded by Paul in this, uh, in this chapter here as weaker brethren, uh, in terms of their, uh, uh, in that area of their understanding, shall we say, of their understanding about what's appropriate for Christians. They didn't yet believe and I use that word believe intentionally, they didn't yet believe that eating certain types of meat, drinking wine, or ignoring certain festival days was acceptable behavior for a Christian in the sight of God. They didn't believe that. And one of the major points that Paul is making in this passage is that if a Christian is going to engage in these activities or other similar activities uh, uh, that would be similar to these activities just described by Paul here, that if that's the case, if there are Christians going to do that, God requires that that Christian do so with a perfectly clear conscience. If you're going to engage in such activity, you need to have a clear conscience. So, what is a clear conscience? Or, uh, to put it another way, when is one's conscience, when is your conscience clear? A clear conscience or a good conscience, same thing, is when you believe that the activity that you are engaged in uh, is completely in accord with the will of God. It doesn't in any way contravene God's law or God's will. You have absolutely no moral or spiritual reservations about the appropriateness of engaging in that activity in question, whatever it is. The vast majority of things that most of us do, we do with a clear conscience, right? Uh, Driving a car down the road, washing our clothes, paying our bills, mowing the yard, preparing dinner... Uh, flying on a plane, getting our hair cut, taking a shower, etc., etc., etc. We do all those activities, and uh, very few of us have any uh, pangs about that, uh, those kinds of behaviors. But note this, just because a man has a clear conscience about something doesn't necessarily mean that his conscience has judged that activity correctly. One can have a clear conscience um, about something, and it's a false clarity, shall we put it that way. There are, for example, some professing Christians today who, with a perfectly good or clear conscience, will stand up in a church worship situation and speak forth what they claim are the words of God. Thus saith the Lord, and they'll make a statement, they'll say, God told me to say that. They believe that they have the gift of prophecy. And when, in fact, 
All they have is, with all due respect, an overly active imagination, I would suggest. And this is because the Bible makes it clear that God uh, no longer speaks directly to his people as he once did through the apostles and the prophets. So that clarity of conscience is is ill-informed, shall we say. Another example, there are some Christians today who with a perfectly clear conscience refrain from attending corporate worship whenever they don't feel like going to church. They believe that faithful church attendance is optional for the Christian. You do it when you feel like it. That is not what the Bible teaches on that subject. It is not optional for the Christian. Unless we are providentially hindered, God would have us in his worship on his day. Period. And yet some Christians with a good conscience don't see that. And that's not biblical. If what our conscience tells us in any way disagrees with what the written word of God teaches, our conscience isn't working properly at that point. When is a man's conscience not clear? Well, Obviously, whenever the individual is considering doing something and his conscience is telling him that it's wrong to do it, like I suggested uh, in the children's illustration. So, for example, if you think that speeding, excessive uh, speed is a sin, which, which it is, then you can't speed with a clear conscience. You can speed, physically do it, but it, you can't do it with a clear conscience. If you think that not tithing is a sin, which it is, then you can't give something less than the tithe in good conscience. And there are other examples that could be adduced as well. Now, just because a man's conscience is not clear when it comes to participating in some activity, that doesn't necessarily mean that that activity is truly sinful. Once again, the conscience can be wrong on on its, in terms of its judgments. So there are some well-meaning Christians today who, like their first century counterparts that Paul is addressing in this letter, refuse to drink alcoholic beverages. Uh, they, their conscience tells them it's sinful for me to touch alcohol. But that, with all due respect, is not what the Bible teaches, it seems to me. And there are some Christians whose consciences won't let them watch television at all. Because they, and their conscience is saying it's wrong to do that. It's the devil's tool or something, uh, words to that effect or thoughts to that effect. But we can't find any biblical warrant for that specific view. So what happens when we engage in an activity that our conscience tells us is wrong? Well, what we learn from verse 23 in our text is that uh, we get condemned by our conscience. Our conscience condemns us. When he says, but he who doubts, that is, he whose conscience thinks what he's doing may be wrong, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. If he thinks eating is wrong and he still engage, or he suspects eating is wrong, he, he doubts, he's not sure, and he still eats anyway, He's condemned, and he's condemned by his conscience, first and foremost. And also, he's condemned before God as well. Now, not in the sense that he's destined for hell, 
That's not my point. But he is condemned before God in the sense that uh, he is sinning in God's sight by doing something that God judges to be evil. And that through the Holy Spirit working in his conscience, he's told the individual is evil. What about when we do something that we think may be appropriate in the eyes of God, but we're not sure? What about situations like that? We are still sinning. If we are not sure, um, we are not doing, engaging in that activity from faith, to use Paul's words again in verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. He's not fully, to use the words of verse 5 here, the man is not fully convinced in his own mind of what he's doing, that it's, that it's perfectly appropriate. Uh, he's, he's doubting and therefore... He's not exercising biblical faith uh, and acting on uh, what he knows to be right. And whatever is not from faith is sin. So, for example, um, if you are suspicious um, that watching any PG-rated movie is wrong, if your conscience is telling you, I'm, I'm not comfortable watching a PG-13 rated movie. Even if lots of people have, it's got good ratings, somebody says, well, it's, there's no uh, sexual content of consequence, etc., etc. Um, and you, it sounds like a good movie, but you're like, I, I just, I don't feel comfortable walking into the movie theater. Then don't! Then don't walk into the movie theater. Uh, or don't turn on the television or buy the movie um, through Netflix or whatever it might be. If your conscience is telling you perhaps you shouldn't do this, then you shouldn't do whatever this is. And this even applies to, as I've already suggested, to activities, those activities that may be perfectly appropriate for other Christians to engage in. Again, drinking is a good example of alcoholic beverages. Uh, I've said this to people before, uh, some here in this church, uh, if, you, if you're not comfortable uh, having a glass of wine, then by all means, don't have a glass of wine. Um, it's, it's perfectly fine to abstain if you, if you don't feel comfortable, if your conscience is troubling you about the possibility of doing it. And there are other examples that could be brought to bear as well, uh, dancing at a wedding or what have you, uh, so on and so forth. So here, here are a couple of things to, uh, by way of application to what I've said so far. So let me ask you, is there anything that you are doing or have done recently or perhaps are considering doing um, that you, in doing it, you would not be doing it with a clear conscience? This passage is God's way of saying, you need to not do that. You need to not engage in some activity that you don't have a clear, a fully clear conscience about engaging in that activity, uh, whatever it might be. 
That's one obvious application here. So the Lord would say to you, cease and desist. Another thing that uh, this first point brings to my mind is the importance of, notice I talked about consciences that are uh, don't make proper judgments one way or the other. Either they judge something to be wrong, which isn't wrong, or they, uh, or the opposite. And I, my mind is not working right now, but you, you know the point I'm making. What about that? When the conscience errs? Well, we need to be about the business of training our conscience. And the way we train our conscience to be more um, accurate in its judgments is by, of course, exposing ourselves regularly to the Word of God uh, and under, seeking to understand uh, what God's Word, what God through His Word is telling us is right versus what is wrong. And to be careful uh, in our judgments about that as we read God's Word and come to biblical conclusion, conclusions doing uh, good theology, as I mentioned this morning. Okay, so... Whatever you do, you must do with a good or clear conscience. But secondly, this passage teaches us another point, and that is whatever you do, you must not cause your Christian brother to stumble spiritually. And I get this from two verses in particular. Uh, I'll read them and then I'll uh, comment. First is verse 13, the very first verse I read. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore but rather determine this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a, note this, brother's way. And then verse 21, we read, It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. So, in those two verses, Holy Spirit through Paul is addressing those whom Paul would regard as the spiritually strong. okay, Those who had no qualms about engaging in some of these behaviors that other Christians had qualms about. Um, uh, other less um, spiritually or uh, mature Christians, at least in that particular area. That they themselves couldn't do in good conscience. But the spiritually strong could engage in that activity, whether it's eating meat that had been sacrificed to an idol prior to being purchased or what have you, they could do it and they didn't have a problem. And Paul, in these two verses, is exhorting them, the more spiritually mature, uh, to avoid participating in any activity that may be an occasion for stumbling for one or more of their Christian brothers. You notice the word brother was in both of those two verses. There isn't any mention about unbelievers here. This is not unbelievers. Uh, his concern is with Christians and their relationships with, the, with each other. You cannot cause an unbeliever to stumble as, the, as it's biblically defined. I'm convinced. So, what does it mean to be a stumbling block in the life of another believer? What What is causing another believer to stumble? What is that? Well, the Christian who has acted as a stumbling block to another in the life of another Christian, has first of all quite obviously caused that person, the uh, the other Christian that the stronger Christian has uh, 
been a stumbling block to, that other Christian has fallen into sin as a result of the stronger Christian's behavior around him. And by causing that uh, weaker brother to sin, he has become a source of spiritual hurt or pain uh, to that other Christian. Uh, in verse 15, For if because of food your brother is hurt, um, in other words, by your eating of certain foods that he, that, that he uh, has uh, troubles with, that his conscience has troubles with, you're hurting him. You're hurting your Christian brother. And this spiritual damage that you, the stronger Christian, are inflicting, um, were it not for the grace of God, Paul implies there in verse 15, uh, it would lead to that brother's eternal destruction. For if, because of food, your brother is hurt, you are now no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died, who is, in other words, who's the, young, uh, who's the weaker brother there. But notice, destruction is, is where this would ultimately lead were it not for the grace of God, the destruction of this man's uh, or woman's or child's soul. Now, the grace of God prevents that, of course. But the point is, it tends toward uh, spiritual destruction. Now, there are some people, after reading these verses that I've just read, uh, there are some people who uh, have concluded that the weaker Christian, the weaker Christian, uh, stumbles when he uh, wrongly condemns his spiritually stronger counterpart for doing something that he, the weaker brother, believes to be wrong. Let me repeat that. Such a, uh, the, the weaker Christian stumbles, this is what some think, this passage also teaches, the weaker Christian stumbles when he wrongly condemns his spiritually stronger counterpart for doing something that he believes to be wrong. Now, after all, one can understand why somebody might come to that conclusion, because such judgmental behavior, condemning attitude, is obviously a sinful attitude, right? And being judgmental toward uh, those who are exercising what they believe to be their Christian liberties, legitimate Christian liberties, is precisely what Paul urged the weaker Christians in Rome to refrain from doing earlier in the chapter. But this is not the problem that Paul is addressing in verses 13 to 23, our our passage for this evening. That's not what's going on here. Paul means, uh, excuse me, uh, being a stumbling block to another, by this Paul means causing another Christian to sinfully engage in an activity that you yourself are able to participate in in a perfectly God-honoring way and with a good conscience. But by your doing, engaging in activity, you're causing another Christian to engage in that activity in a way, that same activity in a way that he is sinning, if that makes sense. 
You're causing him to do something that he knows or believes is wrong, rightly or wrongly. And by causing him to engage in that activity, uh, he is, and he does it in a sinful way. So, again, take the example of uh, the use of uh, alcoholic beverages. If somebody, a uh, Christian, who is uh, able to uh, drink a glass of wine at dinner, uh, uh, is able to do that, but somebody else has been invited uh, who has, has uh, a young Christian who has abused alcohol in the past, in the recent past, um, and by the young, the stronger Christian drinking wine in front of the weaker Christian, the weaker Christian gets the idea, oh, I'm a Christian, I can drink wine like him, and he goes out and drinks a whole bottle and sins thereby. That's the idea. That's, that's how you act as a stumbling block to another. He engages in the activity that you can engage in in a good conscience and in a God-honoring way, in a way that dishonors God. So, how do we know that Paul is referring to uh, this causing another brother to uh, sinfully engage in an activity that you uh, can engage in with a, uh, a good conscience? Uh, how do we know that this being a stumbling block is not, uh, it's that, and it's that it's not the act of condemning somebody else. How do we know that? I think two ways. One is because the gravity of the uh, damage um, that the stumbling incurs. So remember I said in verse 15, uh, when you cause somebody to stumble, it, it tends toward uh, destruction of their soul. It's serious business. And I suspect that this wouldn't apply to merely disapproving of the actions of another Christian who is engaging in some behavior that you don't think is appropriate. And the second reason is because these uh, uh, are activities that the weaker Christian engages in in violation of his own conscience. So in verses 20 through 23, let me read that again. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of your food, for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. In other words, to a younger or weaker brother. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Uh, I don't know if you understood my point there, but uh, the condemning is is not in view here. Uh, I am convinced from what Paul says earlier in the passage and what I just mentioned, although it isn't as clear to me right now as I read my notes. At any rate, um, why is it in conclusion, why is it so important that you and I refrain from any behavior that may cause our Christian brother to stumble? Well, when we ignore our religious scruples, excuse me, not ours, but the religious scruples of others uh, around us, weaker Christians uh, that may be in uh, our, our, um, our circles, when we do that, we ignore their scruples and engage in behavior that may cause... Uh, him to engage in that same behavior in violation of his own conscience, we may end up hurting his soul and 
Paul says, a soul for whom Christ died, in fact. Jesus purchased this man or this woman, and you are, by by your uh, lack of consideration um, and lack of love, you are uh, hurting another by insisting upon your Christian liberties. Also, another reason why it's important to not do such uh, act such behavior, and like I just indicated, uh, I already said it, and that is when we when we do not refrain from such activities that ca- may cause a weaker brother to stumble, we are showing a complete lack of love for him. It's completely self-absorbed behavior. We're saying, I don't care if my exercise of my legitimate Christian liberties hurts you, I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's the attitude that we're displaying when we do that. Thirdly, if we do not refrain from activities that may cause a weaker believer to stumble, the Christian liberty that we are refusing to forego may become an object of derision from others. Verse 16 makes that point. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil by whomever, Christians or non-Christians in that case, possibly as well. A fourth reason why we must not do such things is when we disregard the religious scruples of a weaker brother, we are opposing the interests of the kingdom of God. Verses 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is the realm, the, the uh, kingdom of God is the realm to which we as members of the body of Christ belong. Weak and strong. And everything in between, or everyone in between I should say. The sphere in which God, God's will rules supreme, or should at least. And we engage in some Christian liberty to the detriment of another believer. We are opposing God's will, and we are therefore opposing the furtherance of his kingdom in the world, and the expansion of his kingdom in the world. Another reason we are to refrain is that uh, from such behavior is that we might not, so that we might not be condemned by our consciences and by God for engaging in behavior, which we otherwise would be free to do. Verse 22 makes that point. And then a final reason is because when we do have regard This is a positive reason. When we do have regard for the religious scruples of others and refrain from engaging in some behavior that we could do in good conscience but they could not, we are doing that which both pleases God and men. Verse 18 makes that point. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So you see... The principle here. It is important that we take care. It is Christian liberties are just that. They are Christian liberties. Uh, we can enjoy them. Um, and God has given all things uh, uh, for our enjoyment um, uh, to be enjoyed with gratitude. But we must be careful, uh, not care less, when we uh, make decisions to engage in uh, or to. Um, uh, to enjoy those religious liberties that we not do so in a way that is reckless and that hurts or damages 
another believer. So, when you contemplate doing something that you know is perfectly proper, uh, some Christian liberty uh, that would be that would be deemed such by most of us, but that some Christians uh, around you might be tempted by your example to do in a sinful way, are you willing to refrain? Are you willing to refrain from doing things uh, that you might otherwise be absolutely free to do? You see, we need to have that attitude, uh, willingness to um, deny ourselves, and that's what it is, to deny ourselves on that occasion. Uh, of something, uh, for the sake of somebody else for whom Christ died, who won't understand our behavior in the way that we do, or may not. And the Lord wants us to show love uh, to all the family of God, and this is in a very important way in which we are to do, and would will do just that when we follow these precepts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage for the reminder of the need that we have to do what we do with a clear conscience. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, further train our conscience uh, through your word, uh, that it might be uh, increasingly accurate in its judgments and assessments. And we do pray, Lord, that you would help us also to enjoy the things that you have given us to enjoy in the creation Uh, but to do so in a way that does not cause another Christian brother or sister to stumble spiritually. Give us uh, a a selflessness that is willing uh, to deny ourselves and uh, give us a love for our brethren that makes us want to help them with their spiritual uh, growth and not hinder it. And we thank you that Jesus is our ultimate example in both of these things. Help us, O Lord, to follow in his footsteps. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Amen.